That was a beautiful song. Thank you, Taylor. It really was, and it goes along with what I'm going to be speaking on today as well. It's good to see each and every one here this morning for our time together in God's Word. It's not the only time we have in His Word. We have His time in His Word Monday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings, Friday groups. It's, it's wonderful, and we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to Open the Word of God and share it together. Shall we just look to the Lord in prayer? Father, we just thank You this morning that once again we have the privilege of opening the Word of God freely in our nation. We still have the freedom to do it, to meet in public, and to have a meeting like this with the doors open, the lights on, and no one making us afraid. We're so thankful. We know there are many brethren across this world that don't have this freedom. They live in fear. They live underground. They meet together in secret. We pray for our brothers that are suffering and sisters that are suffering throughout this world. And now, Lord, we pray that we will be still before You this morning, that we will hear Your voice, that the Spirit of God will work through the Word of God, and that You will hide me behind the cross. And so, Lord, please take over this meeting. Be in control. Have a message for each one of us to take home with us today. And we ask this in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. What happens when you ask a question? Well, you get an answer to your question. The question then becomes, then there's a question. What do you do with the answer? Some people don't like the answers. They, they ask questions, but they don't want to hear the answers. They don't like the answers. But the answers that we get to our questions, especially as found in the Word of God, should give us knowledge. They should give us understanding and they should give us wisdom. And throughout the Scriptures, we see people have many questions and the Lord answers the questions. It's very interesting that years ago, Solomon was the wisest king that ever lived. And the Queen of Sheba visited him in the 10th chapter of 1 Kings. And it says she came to test him with difficult questions. I know that Sylvia takes questions sometimes in the women's Bible study group. Sometimes you hear on the radio, they have Hank Hanegraaff. He's the Bible answer man. He asks for questions. Send in your questions or let me know what your questions. They answer the questions. And we're so privileged to be able to do it. There was a brilliant scientist by the name of Isidore Rabi. And he won a Nobel Prize in science. And you kids should listen to this because this goes along with what you're, what you're doing in your studies. He said that someone came to him one time and asked him, how did you become a great scientist? Well, he replied that every day after school, his mother would talk to him about his school day. She wasn't interested in that much in what he had learned that day, but she always inquired, did you ask a good question? Did you ask a good question? You know, some of us are shy. Some of us are too proud to ask questions. But that's really the way we learn, isn't it? By asking questions, asking good questions. And it's found throughout the Scriptures. Ask good questions. And I believe that we can become better Christians and more knowledgeable in God's Word if we ask questions and we learn and we grow from what we learn. You know, someone said there's no such thing as a stupid question. 
only stupid people that don't ask questions. <laughs> and that's sometimes true. You know, we, if we don't ask, if we don't know something and we don't ask, it's on us because we didn't ask. We need to ask. I know I'm going to have a lot of questions on my new job that I start tomorrow. I'm going to have a lot of questions, not just tomorrow, but as I go through the process, learning, learning about the company, learning about the processes, the systems, how they do things at the new company. And we should. We should have questions. Bill McDonald used to say all the time to us in the intern program when we were learning the word of God, he said, you should have a question mark for a brain. And I always wonder, Bill, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by a question mark for your brain? You mean we should question God's word and doubt it and, and come up with different things? No. He said, have a question mark for your brain. Ask yourself, what does the scripture say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? Have a question mark for a brain. If, we, if we're out somewhere and we have a little notebook and you have a question, you can write it down and then you can ask Sylvia, you can ask Adel, you can ask other people and it's good. And God wants to train us that way and then once we're familiar with being able to ask questions as we grow in Christ, then we'll be able to answer questions. Because there's people in the world that when they know you're a Christian, they're going to ask you every kind of hard question, every kind of difficult question. That's why we've got to know the Word of God and we've got to be skillful in it. We have to be able to know where the verses are and be able to give them the answer. The worst thing you can do, though, in answering a person's question is give them the wrong answer. Give them, well, I'm going off the cuff here. I'm going to you know, try it on my own. No, if you don't know the answer, the best policy is always to say, let me get back to you on that. I'll do a little research. I'll get back to you. And then you give them the correct answer. Well, Jesus was the ultimate one who could answer Questions. And there were people that came to Jesus all the time and their motives weren't good. They were Pharisees. They were scribes. They were lawyers. And they came to trip him up. They came with questions that they were just they were just waiting to ask him because they figured any way he answered it, they had him. They could pin him down on it. For instance, that question, he, they ask him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, they knew that if he said, yes, it's lawful, then they say, well, you're a Jew and you shouldn't be honoring Rome. And if he said no, then he'd be in trouble with the Romans because they wouldn't be paying their taxes. So they, they worded those questions so deceitfully there. But every question that they asked Jesus, he answered it and he actually then turned it around and even asked them questions. And they got to the point where they finally gave up. Don't ask him any more questions. Because it got too much, the fingers came back at them. In Matthew twenty-two forty-six, it says, And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him anymore. It's amazing. When the Lord Jesus was about 12 years old and his parents were there in Jerusalem, they had this big caravan, right? And then they left and they were on their way back to, to Nazareth. And all of a sudden they realized Jesus was missing. In your heart, if you're a parent, it, it skips a beat because where's the boy? Where's our boy? Where's our son? And so they made all the trip back, all the way back to Jerusalem. And where did they find Jesus? In the temple, both speaking to them and asking them questions. At 12 years old, he knew more than all the theologians and all the people in all that area of the world. He knew it all because why? He's God the Son. He knows everything. He knows the answer to every question. 
and it is a blessing. Well, today's topic is the two great commandments. The two great commandments, because one day there was a lawyer and he thought he was so smart and he had just heard Jesus who he had just refuted the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. And they came to Jesus and they said, well, he said, we, we, got, a, we got a question for you, Jesus. There, were, there was a man, he was married to a woman and he died. And according to the Old Testament law, his, his, he was, his brother was to take that wife and then he was to go on. Well, it seems he had six brothers and each one of them were married to this woman and they said, so Jesus, tell us whose wife will she be in the resurrection when we get to heaven? Whose wife will she be? Will she be the first man's wife or the second or the seventh one, the last one? They thought, boy, we got Jesus this time. We've got him right where we want him. And they said, he said, you are sorely mistaken. You don't know the scriptures of the power of God. Those in heaven, he says, they, there's not, they're not in marriage and they're not given in marriage in heaven, but they're like the angels of God. And these, these Sadducees, they couldn't, they couldn't refute it. They couldn't do anything because they didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in the resurrection and they couldn't open their mouths once Jesus spoke to them. So up comes this lawyer. A lawyer like Dave right here on it. Only this lawyer was a lawyer in the scriptures. He knew the cover to cover Old Testament, cover to cover everything. And so he comes to the Lord Jesus and he asked them, which is the first commandment, the foremost commandment? In other words, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? If somebody asks you that question, that's a heavy question. There are literally hundreds of commandments in the Bible, hundreds. They're all important. And then there's the Ten Commandments. They're all really important as well. So he's waiting for Jesus to answer this. He says, I think I've really posed a question that is even Jesus can't, can't answer. But guess what? Jesus answered his question. And because Jesus answered his question, we have the answer to be the two greatest commandments in all the scripture are number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, he said, is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying, take all the Old Testament scriptures, all the law, all the commandments, all the teachings of Moses, you can boil it down into these two commandments and you can cover it in that such beautiful way. And we're going to look at these two commandments that Jesus mentions as being the two most important, chiefest commandments in the scriptures. It's found also in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But we're going to read in the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 and beginning at verse 28. Mark, chapter 12 and verse 28. It says, then one of the scribes came and having heard them perceiving together that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second, and the second like it, is this. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we can be confident that these two are the greatest commandments. And listen to what happened after this. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is no, there is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart and all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. This man had bad motives. He came to test Jesus. But at the end, when all was said and done, he said, Jesus, you're right. You are right. When you read through the scriptures and you realize that Loving God and loving others is more important than that whole Jewish sacrificial system. Better than all the animal sacrifices, better than all the rituals, all the new moons and the Sabbaths and all the things they celebrated. He got it. He understood it. And that's why Jesus said, not you're in the kingdom now, but he said, you're not far. You're not far away. He was close because he began to understand what the gospel is really all about. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from salvation, we have no power to keep God's commandment. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because we failed. We may not have broken all of them, but we broke at least one. The the Bible says in James, if you're guilty of one, breaking one commandment, you're guilty of them all. They're like a string. They're like a, a chain of links, of ten links. You break one, you break them all. That's why Jesus had to come and die for us because we could not keep the law perfect. We could not keep the commandments. We could not do it. And so he said, this is what is really important to you. The first commandment, to love the Lord your God. I mean, it's like an arrow. It's like the Lord Jesus shot an arrow and it hit this lawyer right in the heart. Right in the heart. Because when you think about it, this capacity we don't have in ourselves to do. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. To think about it. To love the Lord your God with everything you have. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind and with your strength to love the Lord that way. I know I come up short. I know I do. I don't love God as much as I should. And that's why we all have to come to the place where we have to realize that is the most important thing. You know, the greatest compliment that any Christian can get in their lives is to say, he loves the Lord. She loves the Lord. What that means is the Lord is first in that person's life. You can see it. You hear it in their voice. You see it in their actions. You see that that person loves the Lord and everything they do revolves around living for Him and serving Him. This passage of Scripture is taken from the Old Testament where in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we have what the Jews call the Shema. S-H-E-M-A. The Shema. And here it says, In in that passage, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus said this is the most important, foremost commandment 
we can have to love the Lord this way. It's very important, extremely important to have the priorities, to have the priorities. He boiled it down for him. He says, you can take all that and boil it down into these two commandments. And when you think about it, how different our lives would be today if we practice these this way to love the Lord and to love others as ourselves. It would be tremendous. It would impact us. You can imagine you'd come up to a stoplight and you'd say, no, you go. No, you go. And you'd go to the grocery store and somebody said, no, you go ahead of me. I mean, it would revolutionize life on planet Earth if we practice this, wouldn't it? To love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbor like ourselves. It would change the way we do business. It would change the way we live our lives. Because the Lord requires it. He requires 100% love. Not 90, not 99, but 100% love. 100% of the time and for 100% of our lives. I know I fall short. Jesus made it very clear what love for God really is when he said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or as it says in another version, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, if you just sit down and you're real harsh with somebody and you tell them what to do, I want you to do this and this and this, they're going to do it, but they're going to do it grudgingly because you're being harsh and mean to them. But God isn't like that. He's merciful. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's good. And when God asks us to do something, it's for our good and we should do it out of love for Him. Out of love for Him. Because I love the Lord... I want to do his will. I want to please him. I want to serve him. You know, when Peter got in trouble is when he denied the Lord three times. Three times he denied the Lord. And you can imagine, they could have had Peter on that commercial for Southwest Airlines. Peter, want to get away? Oh boy, did he want to get away. He said, in fact, we're going fishing. We're going fishing. And he took with him some of the other disciples. But there, Jesus came to them and he came and he came and dealt with them right there on the seashore. And he says, Peter, I got to get you back in the, in the program here. You got to get back on track. You got to get back on focus, back on point. He was feeling so depressed and so sad that he had denied the Lord. And then the Lord comes to him and says, Simon, son of jo Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he asked him that question three times because he had denied him three times. Do we love the Lord? The Lord knows our hearts. He already knows what's inside. He wants us to love Him and obey Him and serve Him out of love for Him. Yeah, it's a question. The question I have to ask myself is, do I love anything or anyone in this world more than Jesus? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. We shouldn't love anyone or anything more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And He wants us to love Him holding nothing back. To love Him with every fabric of our being. On Friday, what's Friday the 14th? Valentine's Day, right? I love that day. It's a day where husbands and wives, and of course it goes to girlfriends and boyfriends and all that, they're going to have a special night out to celebrate love. Celebrate love. And they need that. They need that. Couples need that. They need more than just Valentine's Day. They need a night out every week maybe. It's beautiful. But guess what? Our love for God should supersede all of that. Because we love Him so much, we should want to spend time with Him every day in prayer. We should want to spend time with Him in His Word. We should want to witness for Him. We should want to give our all to Him and give everything and hold nothing back. 
And I thought of three people in the Bible that really touched me who really, you could say, they loved the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. And I think you'll agree with me. The very first one was Abraham. Abraham, from the day God called him, walked with God. He had faith in God. He did God's will. Now, did he trip up? He had some trip ups. His faith was a little weak. He went down to Egypt. The Lord had to deal with him and all along. But finally, in the 22nd chapter, God says, I'm going to put Abraham to the real severe test. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him there to me. He didn't question it. I think the first thing I would do is I would question it. Lord, you told me this was the son of the promise. You told me Isaac was going to be the father of, through, through Isaac, through the whole of all the nations. And, and you told me this and you told me that. He didn't question. He didn't doubt. He went to do it. And as he took the knife, Abraham, Abraham, now do not harm the lad. Now I know that you fear God. That he went to the ultimate test. And I know I couldn't do it. Probably you couldn't do it. But he was willing to do it because he loved the Lord and he so trusted the Lord that if he was to kill his son, God would raise him from the dead. So he had perfect confidence in the Lord. And that's why I could say Abraham loved God with everything he had. He didn't leave anything out. He told his servants, I and the lad are going to go worship yonder and we're going to come back. We're going to come back. We are going to come back. He had that kind of faith. I love the faith of Abraham. And Abraham was a man who loved God and did what it took. Sylvia had a great message on Thursday. That was the last one I get to come because I'm going back to work. But she gave a message and it was, are you tough enough? You know, have you got that kind of toughness, that kind of stuff, the right stuff in the Christian life, that faith, that obedience, that love for the Lord? Are you tough enough so that when the trial comes like it did to Abraham, you're not going to fall apart? You're going to go through it and the Lord's going to take you through it. God wants us to be tough enough. Second person I thought of right away was the poor widow who was there at the temple. And she was putting her two little copper coins, they called them mites, and she was putting them in to the offering. And all the others around there were rich people and they were coming and they were putting in, but they were putting in out of their surplus. They were putting out, they were rich and they'd put in a few thing, a few dollars here or there and, and they, people would watch them go in and they were so proud. They'd put the money in so everybody could see how much they were putting in. And Jesus said, you see that widow there? Yeah, Jesus, we see her. She put in two, two mites, two copper coins. Well, Jesus, that's not very much. Look how much that guy put in. Look how much that uh, rabbi put in or this person put in. Yes, but you don't understand. That was all she had to live on. That was all she had to live on. She loved the Lord so much as to trust Him that if she put the last of her money in there and gave it to the Lord, the Lord would take care of her and He would bring back to her more than what she gave. And certainly true. And Jesus was so amazed by this kind of faith and this kind of love. She was made of the right stuff. She had good spiritual DNA. She really did. And so did Abraham. And the third one, I can't go by without thinking of the Apostle Paul and all that he suffered for the Lord. He loved the Lord so much he was willing to be shipwrecked. He was willing to be stoned, beaten with rods, in danger of thievery, 
He was he went through all these things. He was persecuted. He one time he was stoned. So he was actually dead and the Lord raised him up. And then finally, he was willing to be arrested and taken to Rome and he was willing to be put on trial and then finally beheaded. All because he loved the Lord. All because of that. He's not saved in heaven because he was willing to do that, but because he was saved by God's grace by accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he was willing to go through all of that because he knew that when he left this earthly scene, he was going to end up in glory in heaven. And so he says, I love you, Lord, and I'm coming home. I'm coming home, Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. If you really love the Lord, you're going to love his appearing. You're going to say, Lord, I don't mind if you come today. Come today, Lord. Now, Ray and Teresa, I know you'd like him to, to maybe just wait till the 22nd, at least past the 22nd so they could get married. And th- but guess what? You'll have a better marriage in heaven, even so, because the Lord has better in store for us. I love what Bill McDonald said about this in his commentary. He said, this kind of love that he's talking about here, this means that man's first obligation is to love God with the totality of his being. The heart speaks of the emotional nature, the soul of the volitional nature, the mind of the intellectual nature and the strength of the physical nature. If you can say you love God this way, praise be to God, because he wants us to love him with all that we have. You know, so many people today, they start off, they love, it wears thin. And that's why... The Lord Jesus speaks of the very first church in Ephesus and he's, he tells them all the good things they're doing. He compliments them. He praises them. But he says, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. Oh, that's convicting. Sometimes I think we get so busy and we get so involved in so many things that we, we lose sight of who our first love really is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. He loved us enough to go to that cross to carry your sins and my sins, to bleed and die for us. He loved us that much. If he loved us that much, shouldn't we be willing to reciprocate our love in obedience and devotion and faithfulness to him? Yes, it's a goal that we should have. I think it's a good goal to have for 2014. Two great goals. The first one is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You know, God loves us so much. It says in Scripture in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. And when I thought about that a number of years ago, it really struck me. And every time I think about it, it strikes me. I could have no capacity to love anyone. You could have no capacity to love anyone truly as they should be loved, if it wasn't for God's love. God's love is the example. God's love is the resource. His love flows through us when our hearts are clean and right with Him to flow out to others. Yes, Isaac Watts in that beautiful hymn, we sing it sometimes on Sunday morning. It's from the Black Book and it's, it's so beautiful. It's, um, we're the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my heart, my life, my all. He desires it? No. He demands it. 
His love demands it. His love compels us to love Him and to honor Him. So how are we doing on that commandment? If we had a test now and you were, to, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just think if, if the Lord was analyzing how are we doing on that first commandment, you know, we can do better, right? We can always improve. We can always grow. We can love the Lord more. We can be more passionate for the cause of Christ and for Him who loved us and gave Himself for it. And then the second commandment doesn't get any easier. In fact, maybe it's even harder. He says, and the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about that a second. The first one is very difficult to love God with every fabric of the being. But now you're talking about my neighbor. Do you know my neighbor? I got a, I got some bad neighbors, right? <laughs> you know, you got some neighbors that they're loud, they're crude, they 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 leave their things around, the cars are parked in the wrong places, they they do listen to music till all hours. Or, but you know, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a high standard, isn't it? That's a high standard to love your neighbor as yourself. Because I don't think anybody in this audience today hates themselves. If you do, they're going to come from Martinez. They got a place for you and they're going to put you there, (laughs) you know, because they have places for people like that. But seriously, we don't hate ourselves. We love ourselves. We feed ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We have nice cars. We have nice homes. We take care of ourselves. We're very good at loving ourselves most all the time. But now Jesus says, take that and turn it over here and love your neighbor. And not only that, he made it even harder. He said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who who despitefully use you and persecute you. I can't believe it. I read a book one time about this man who was being persecuted over in the Soviet Union. Is what that was then. And they were kicking him and beating him and doing all kinds of bad stuff to him. And they were saying, so what are you going to do now? Now, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to love you and forgive you. That's hard to do with people that are persecuting us and hurting us, going behind our back, getting us in trouble, all those kinds of things. Jesus said, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not an easy thing. There's a lot of selfish people out there. There's a lot of proud people out there. There's a lot of mean people out there. There's a lot of downright hard to get along people out there. And Jesus said, love them. I really believe that the greatest way to bring people to Christ is to love them. Especially if they do something bad to you and you love them back when they're expecting you to throw a stone back at them and hurt them back in return, and instead you love them, that will melt them. It melts people. It's like it says in in Romans chapter 12, it's like throwing fiery coals on their head. They can't handle it. Oh, they could handle it if you started fighting them physically or verbally jabbing at them and coming back. Oh, they'd be ready for the fight. But they can't fight love. They can't. And it's one of the biggest ways we can touch people is when we love them. When we love them. And some of them are, like I said, very hard to love. And in in speaking in Luke chapter 10, where the Lord Jesus was speaking to another one of these scribes, and he was talking about the commandments too, and he was mentioning the same portion about loving the Lord with all your heart and so forth and your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he wanted to justify himself. It says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 28, he says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor anyway? And so Jesus then goes on to tell that famous story of the Good Samaritan. Here was a man who was on the road. He was to Jericho. He was beaten by robbers. He was left to die. And we all know the story. The priest went by, looked over, went the other way. Then a Levite came by. He did the same thing. He saw the man hurt in really bad shape, needing help, but he didn't want to get involved either and he went on by. And finally, a Samaritan came, a good Samaritan. And he was willing to not only help the man and bandage up his wounds and treat him and take him to the inn, but he said to the innkeeper, and if he spends any more, if it costs you any more to take care of him, I'll pay you the next time I come through. That's the good Samaritan. So he's telling them that if you want to be a friend in need, you have to be a friend indeed. You have to be willing to help other people. So many people, when they hear about things that are happening, and they, they say, let so-and-so do it. Let somebody else get involved. I don't want to be involved. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost me some money. It's going to cost me some time. It's going to cost me some effort here. I don't want to do it. But Jesus said, your neighbor is anyone who needs help. Anyone who needs help is a neighbor to us. People in the world around us. In John chapter, in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 20 and 21, the apostle John, who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved, he said this, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love his God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's very clear. John says, you can't just say, I love God and that's enough. That's what the Pharisees did. They said, well, it's Corbin. It's, in other words, it's dedicated to God. So the money that I could have used to help my mother and father with, I'm giving that to God. So it's an excuse not to give that money to their parents. And Jesus says, you have corrupted with your traditions all the truth of God's word about helping your parents and so forth. Yes, we need to love God with all our hearts, souls, mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I thought it was pretty interesting that C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, put it this way. It's kind of interesting. He said, do not waste your time bothering whether you, quote, love, unquote, your neighbor. Act as you did. As soon as you do this, you will find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. You know, if we would do that, if we would practice that kind of love and say, by an act of my will, I'm going to love that person. It's not in me. I don't have the capacity to do it. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I don't like anything about them. But for Jesus sake, I'm going to show love to that person. That will make a huge impact because the people know they're They know themselves. They really do when they're honest. They know when they're bad. They have bad tempers and they say bad things and all that. They know it's not right. And when they see you come back with love, it has a powerful effect. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it's about. 
So when this when this uh, scribe, uh, we're just going to summarize it real quick. Notice what he says in verse 32. It says, so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth for there is no one. There is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one neighbor as, as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw it, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. What an amazing story. I'd like to ask you this morning, does this verse fit your situation this morning? You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not in the kingdom of God. You haven't accepted Jesus yet as your Savior, but you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Why not take that one last step into the kingdom of God? All you have to do is say, Lord, I know I've blown it. I know I'm a sinner. There's no doubt about that. I've tried to run my life my way and it hasn't worked. Didn't work Frank Sinatra's way. Doesn't work my way. Doesn't work your way. We've sinned against a holy God and we need to come and acknowledge it and confess it to Him. Lord, I've sinned against You. And I repent. I want to turn away from that sinful lifestyle. I want to turn away from that sin. And I want to go to Jesus. And I want to be with Him. And He died for my sins on the cross. And I take Him as my Savior. And by taking Him as your Savior, you'll have eternal life. All you have to do is make that step. The devil does not want you to make that step. He wants to keep you in your seat. He wants to keep you from doing that. Do it tomorrow. Do it later. Do it later this afternoon. Whatever it is. No, we got to do it now while the Holy Spirit is prodding us and speaking to us. You're not far from the kingdom of God. We can't be saved by keeping the law. We can't be saved by doing good works. We can't be saved by living a moral life. God's standards are 100% perfection. We have not met the goal. We have not met the standard. Only Jesus lived a 100% sinless life. Therefore, He could take your sins and mine, die on that cross so that we could be forgiven and have everlasting life. Don't be like this man who was not far from the kingdom of God. I thought about it later on. Just imagine if one day we could see this man in heaven. I think it would be great. Can you imagine if this man later on went home and he got down on his knees and accepted Jesus as his Savior and we would see him in heaven and he says, I'm the lawyer. I'm the scribe that came to Jesus. And when I realized what he said was so right and so true that I got down on my knees and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior and I'm, I'm saved and I'm here today because of what he did. But it doesn't always have a happy ending like Hollywood because he might not have ever received the Lord. He might have walked away and never done it. That's why it's your choice. That's why it's my choice. God doesn't force us. He wants us to come to Him today so bad, but He won't make you do it. He won't force you. He won't tie your hand behind your back until you scream, I give in. He wants you out of your own heart to say yes to Jesus. I want Him as my Savior. I want to love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. Once you get saved, you have the power to keep those commandments. Before, no, we can't do it. But with His help, we can do it. And may the Lord encourage us today. Shall we pray? Father, we just thank You for this scribe. Little did he know that some 2,000 years later, we'd be talking about his story, about his question, and about Jesus' answer to his question. 
We pray, Father, that if there be any here today that don't know You as Lord and Savior, that today will be the day of their salvation, that they will come to accept You as Lord and Savior. Help all of us as believers, Lord, to love You so much that we're willing to do anything You want us to do and to love others like we love ourselves, Lord. Help us to touch people's lives by our love. And so, Father, we pray you'll take us home safely and give us a wonderful day today. And we just ask this and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.